You're listening to Biceps After Babies Radio, episode 295. Hello, and welcome to Biceps After Babies Radio, a podcast for ladies who know that fitness is about so much more than pounds lost or PRs. It's about feeling confident in your skin and empowered in your life. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, a registered nurse, personal trainer, wife, and mom of four. Each week, my guests and I will excite and motivate you to take action in your own personal fitness as we talk about nutrition, exercise, mindset, personal development, and executing life with conscious intention. If your goal is to look, feel, and be strong and experience transformation from the inside out, you, my friend, are in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's jump into today's episode. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm your host, Amber Brzezicki, and today I am bringing you a really awesome interview that I had with Taylor Ann Macy. And Taylor Ann is a specialist who helps women specifically with autoimmune conditions with their nutrition. And she herself has her own story of being diagnosed in 2019 with an autoimmune condition. And and she tells a little bit about her experience and how that brought her to really serving that client population and um, some of the nuances that come with having an autoimmune disease and how we can be focused on you know, obviously clinical support from a, from a medical standpoint, but then what we can do with nutrition and also what we can do with how we see the situation and um, how we can step back into a place of power in our journey. Towards the end of the conversation, we have a really good exchange about this idea that my body is betraying me. And this is a, this is a belief that I see come up in a lot of women. And of course it makes a lot of sense that that would be something that a lot of women with autoimmune diseases would struggle with because with an autoimmune disease, literally your body is fighting against itself. And so we do have a good conversation towards the end about that idea. So if that's something that you felt like you struggle with of like my body's betraying me or it's me against my body, then definitely make sure you listen to towards the end of the episode because uh, there's some good nuggets that Taylor Ann presents uh, about that topic. So if you have an autoimmune disease or know somebody who does, this is going to be a really great listen for you. And even if you don't, if you've struggled with some of those ideas of like my body's betraying me or, um, you know, it's me against my body, this is also going to be a really good episode for you. So without further ado, let's dive into the interview with Taylor Ann Macy. All right. I am super excited to welcome Taylor Ann to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation. This is a topic that I know a little about, but I feel like I'm going to also be in the learner seat today, which is always fun uh, as a podcast host to to get to yeah. learn alongside with the audience. So uh, let's start with just an, a brief introduction of you and a little bit about what you do. Yes. So my name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a life coach and a nutrition coach, and I work with women with autoimmune conditions to help them to... Um, navigate any type of body recomposition goals. Oftentimes I'm working with women um, to lose fat. That's typically the direction that most of my clientele are uh, headed. And with that comes a lot of learning how to navigate autoimmunity with confidence and to thrive because it can be a really interesting landscape. And so it's it's a really uh, fun world to be in. And I, I feel really lucky to do what I do. That's awesome. And kind of give us a little insight, you know, why autoimmunity? What drew you into that niche specifically? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think as with many 
entrepreneurs, there's always kind of a connection to yourself and your own experience that can lead to why we do what we do. And for me, it came as a result of of my own diagnosis that I received uh, in 2019. I had two young kids. I have two young kids at the time, but they were really little at the time. And um, I was healthy by all accounts as you know, as far as you could tell. And uh, woke up one morning with some vision difficulties without any type of warning and um, obviously without any type of understanding as to why. And so it led to getting a diagnosis of a rare and aggressive autoimmune condition that at the time uh, I knew nothing about. No one in my close circle knew anything about. And having been a nutrition coach up until then, I then was faced and a life coach uh, with the question of how can I use movement and use nutrition as a way to help myself where possible, but also how can I support myself when diet isn't going to cure this condition, when diet isn't going to change um, this chronic, this new and chronic part of my life that I hadn't anticipated. And so it really was such a beautiful experience for me to be able to learn um, how to navigate those two, how to say, I'm going to take care of myself in every way possible. And I'm going to do my best to nourish my body while not operating under the guise that I can solve for this, but also understanding that where I can control things, I will do my best to do so. Yeah. And I, I just, I just have to assume that this conversation that we're going to take together is going to be super applicable to you, whether or not you have an autoimmune condition, because we all have things in our lives that are unchangeable. Kind of like you're talking about, it's like, this is, this is what is, this is what I'm dealing with. And all of us have constraints like that, whether it's, you know, number of children or other health concerns or income or, you know, there's just a lot of things that are constraints for all of us. And we have to work within the constraints that we have to be the most successful. And so um, I, I'm excited for this conversation because I think while we are going to talk about specifically autoimmune um, conditions, this conversation has the potential to be able to really speak to a wider um you know, swath of people because we all have to to work within the the limits of things that we've we've been given. Yes, and there really is quite a universal applicability with these types of things because while autoimmunity autoimmunity is typically chronic and lifelong, like you mentioned, many people experience things in chronic ways that aren't quite related to oh. their immune system. When we have injuries and things that just yeah. get in the way that we didn't anticipate, that we don't have a lot of control over the timeline or of how our body responds to. And so it's one of the things that is so precious to me that that I get to do in teaching about this is it really can apply to anybody and just learning how to respond to a body that surprises you. Yeah. yeah. Life that surprises you. Yeah. So, such a good way to put it. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about autoimmunity um, and what it means to have an autoimmune condition. And so can you kind of just give us a, a synopsis of like, what does that even mean if we're putting a, a disease under the category of autoimmunity? What, what does that mean? Yes. So essentially autoimmunity is defined as one's own immune system that attacks one's own tissues and cells. And so um, one of my colleagues that I think put it so beautifully, uh, E.C. Sinkowski said, essentially, the immune system is constantly surveilling and asking two questions. Is this me? And is this safe? Mm -hmm. And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then it works to eradicate it and to get it out of the body as quickly as possible in order to maintain health and to survive, essentially. 
And so what is happening with autoimmunity is it's asking those questions and incorrectly answering them. So it might recognize tissue that is in fact safe and it is in fact me, but then it deems it as foreign and unsafe and thus attacks it. So in the case of my condition, for example, um, my immune system attacks my brain, my spinal cord, and my optic nerve. And so it assesses those tissues and says, oh, this isn't safe. This isn't me and causes lesions in my um, brain and spinal cord, and then can cause inflammation and optic neuritis in the optic nerve. Now, obviously that's not super helpful because it is me and it is safe, but this is essentially what autoimmunity is. It's just incorrectly answering those questions. Um, and so when this happens, what that means is due to the fact that we have a wide variety of tissues in the body, um, the severity of autoimmunity can really run a wide spectrum. It can be more or less benign. Uh, for example, something like vitiligo. I don't want it to diminish the emotional consequences that can happen with any autoimmune condition, but something like vitiligo is something that attacks the pigment of the skin. Now there's not typically pain associated with vitiligo. It's much more of an aesthetic change and that can be really difficult for people, but it is one of the more benign examples. And again, I want to emphasize, I don't want to diminish how difficult it can be. But on the other end of the spectrum, there can be much more severe things, things like type one diabetes. That's an autoimmune condition that attacks the pancreas and, and uh, limits the ability for the body to produce insulin. And obviously we know how important insulin is. And so uh, something like that is a little bit more severe and there's some uh, much more obvious consequences physically that can happen as a result. MS is another example of something that can have a lot of uh, very severe effects, having um, effects on someone's ability to walk, uh, you know, among a variety of other things. And so the spectrum is really wide with autoimmunity. Um, the body's really tricky with how sometimes it can just pick a tissue and decide, this isn't me. We're, we're, we're not going to accept this today. This is going to be uh, something we're going to be against for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then talk to me a little bit about this link between nutrition and um, autoimmunity and, and what, it, you know, what is that link? It, you kind of mentioned previously that you know, there is, there's some stuff that you can do. And then there's some stuff that it's just like, this is just kind of how it is. So what is nutrition? How is nutrition able to support you and your health and uh, your body? And then what are the limits of nutrition as well? Well, when you think about nutrition as again, this is universally applicable, you can really manipulate how you feel overall, your quality of life, your energy levels, your ability to heal from injury. Um, and I would say with autoimmunity, it is just, um, true even more uh, than it is with someone that doesn't have a compromised immune system. In that, uh, if someone is not getting adequate protein, we know that there are consequences to that. It is even more true with someone with autoimmunity, because if you have constant tissue damage, even if it is self-inflicted, you want to make sure that you have nutrients to be able to repair damage that's done. Now, again, repairing doesn't mean curing necessarily, but um, when you have inflammation in the body and tissue damage, getting adequate protein can be really uh, helpful in how one responds to flares of a condition because it allows the body to have fuel to be able to respond with strength rather than being inadequately fueled that can result in a lack of ability to heal and to recover from relapses and events. And so what's interesting is what I do with my clients is a lot of the nutrition um, habits that we implement are similar to what I would do with anybody. I just emphasize the greater importance when you have a compromised immune system of getting adequate protein, of getting enough fiber so that you have that prebiotic uh, resource within your gut so that your gut is healthy and able to absorb um, macro and micronutrients in, a, in the best way possible. Um, and unfortunately, with 
the autoimmune world, there is a lot of talk of healing conditions with diet or of making really grand claims about what you're able to do with nutrition. And I don't want to understate what is possible. You can really help yourself. But there comes a point where it's beyond your control, as we've established. And so when it comes to nutrition and giving yourself advantages, protein and fiber are what I always will emphasize to say, make sure you are getting adequate in both of those areas. And then in addition to that, it's a lot of those lifestyle factors that are of greater importance, things like sleep quality and quantity. We know that so much restoration and repair happens as we are sleeping. And when you have systems inside and tissues inside that are being attacked, you need that time to restore and repair, which again is true for everybody. We need that regardless of our immune health. But when we can prioritize sleep hygiene, sleep quality, sleep quantity, when we can prioritize sun exposure, hydration, movement where possible, there are often limitations depending on the condition that can get in the way of movement, but where possible um, and getting enough protein. One of the things that I do love to spend time on with my clients is, is eating at maintenance calories because feeding your body enough and spending time out of a deficit, as you and I both well know, is so influential in so many ways in a body's ability to function and feel well and a body's ability to lose fat if that's the goal. And like I mentioned, that's something that I love to do with my clients, but it's one of those like secret areas that people don't know about, at least in my anecdotal experience. I get a lot of clients that that aren't even familiar with what maintenance looks like and are often a little bit afraid of it. And sometimes it can be such a powerful way to nourish a body and to help you navigate a condition with confidence when you are eating adequate calories and eating quality calories as well. One of my favorite things to, one of my favorite experiences with clients is when we can get them eating, you know, up to maintenance calories and then they go to the gym eating at maintenance and then they come back and they are just floored at how different they feel and how different yeah. their workouts feel when they are actually fueling their body and then going to the gym. And so many women I feel like have just only experienced the gym depleted <laughs> and on a, in a depleted state, you know, and they, it just is amazing how your body feels so different when you are feeding it enough calories and how much more your body is able to respond and give when you ask it to give when you are nourishing it in, in, in that way. Right. And when you have, I, I always kind of use the example of in when a stranger calls, when she's on the phone with the police officer and he's like, the call is coming from inside the house, right? It's like, that's what autoimmunity is, is it's like yeah. the issue is, is within, it's coming yeah. from within. And that doesn't necessarily have to be as big of a problem as like having a murderer in your house necessarily, but <laughs> it's so important to recognize that when you have internal systems that are compromised, eating enough. Yeah. Those benefits go so much further than what I often see in autoimmune um, marketing, if you will, that comes across more as just eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've always prioritized is adding before subtracting. And this is regardless mm -hmm. of autoimmune state or not for a variety of reasons. But I think sometimes people are too quick to want to eliminate things. Yeah. I think sometimes that can be motivated by a desire to potentially see quick results. Mm -hmm. And it's not the elimination that leads to quick results. It's often more a drastic drop in calories that can create a change in the scale. And so that's an important part of uh, understanding that I like to illustrate that just because you eliminate a food, it doesn't mean that that food was causing the weight gain or whatever the status was, was of your body. It's much more just the caloric quantity. But um, 
there are some autoimmune conditions that very clearly will require a dietary change. Something like celiac, for example, where you you literally do not have these structures to be able to tolerate gluten. And what happens when you eat gluten is very obvious. It's very clear when you eat it, what happens in your body, you experience the response. And so in cases like that, it's obviously very important to eliminate those types of things to help your body be able to function well and normally. But what happens is people will have more vague symptoms and maybe not be quite aware of what's going on in their body and then just start to eliminate some of these massive food groups. And the problem, there are two problems that come as a result of of these type of elimination diets is the first, you often are eliminating a lot of vital micronutrients. You know, if you're eliminating meat, you're, you know, losing a lot of your iron sources and B12 sources. And if you're eliminating certain grains, you know, you're losing a number of different uh, important things. And so nutrition deficiencies are one problem that needs to be addressed if you're going to eliminate any type of major food group. But then the second problem that comes as a result of this is often some disordered eating patterns. If you aren't doing it with a very mindful approach and often with guidance can be a very um, appropriate way to navigate these types of elimination diets, then you're both nutrient deficient and you start to develop really poor relationships with food. And neither of those things is going to be helpful to someone with an autoimmune condition. And so something that I will emphasize is we want to add things in before we start to take things away, unless there is a very clear need, like in the example of celiac, to eliminate something very, very specific. And so again, it comes back to those low-hanging fruit basics that all of us benefit from, the protein, the fiber, the sleep, the hydration, the sun exposure, the um, movement where possible, right? I have some MS clients that have limited mobility, and sometimes their movement is getting outside and just getting their feet into the ground and moving their arms. And it just comes down to what you are able to do and executing that that is within your control. That's really good. I really like the idea of subtracting or adding before subtracting. I think that I mean, that's a, a great principle all the way around yeah. um, before we, we restrict things, at, uh, focus on adding things. I do want to um, hear what thoughts you have or speaking to, you know, there are some of these autoimmune, you, you mentioned celiacs, you know, type one diabetes might be another example where dietary changes, you know, do really need to be made and, and there needs to be a cutting act or a restriction or a pulling back of, of certain foods or certain food groups. And I, and, you know, I wonder how you help people to walk that line, um, of the difference between like restriction and feeling restricted and, and making the choice because you feel better of like removing foods. I, I find that people really struggle uh, to to balance that where it's like, I, I either feel like I can't eat gluten and so then I feel restricted and I just want it more and that, that brain kicks in uh, versus the choosing not to have it because it makes you feel better. But I, I wonder if you had any insight into working with clients who do have to make those dietary changes and how to do it in a, in a healthy way that promotes a healthy relationship with food, promotes an ability to be able to um, own your own decisions and maybe like not get into that victim stance that I think sometimes people get into of like, oh, what was me? I, you know, this, this, I, this is the way it has to be and I hate it and all that stuff. So how, how do you coach clients through that balance? Totally. That's such a great question. And what's interesting is in the case for celiac, for example, the clients that I have coached through that, because they have such a negative association with gluten, they don't have a desire for it. And so that's sometimes what can work in your favor is if you do have a very, very clear response that is very um, undesirable and uncomfortable, it can often make 
it it's easier like, to avoid the thing. I mean, desired. Like, I don't want it. <laughs> right. I, if if yeah. you don't want it, then it's not a problem to not yeah. have it. Right. Yeah. And so that's one thing that's always interesting is, is for some clients, making those elimination choices is a very easy and simple thing to do because of that association with how negatively mm -hmm. they feel. Mm -hmm. But that's why I kind of like to say, wait until you are 100% sure that your symptoms are clearly coming from something specific before you eliminate it. Because otherwise, when you have that gray area of like, well, sometimes when I eat this, I feel kind of not great, but it's not super clear. So I always recommend, it I always recommend including as much as possible for as long as possible mm. um, in order to maintain that sense of uh, control and empowerment around food. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are many instances where it is necessary to eliminate certain things, even if just for a time. And the way that I like to coach clients through that and the way I like to talk them through this is I like to relate it to my children, right? They are four and six. And we have a lot of rules in our house about how we do food, how we do sugar, how we do treats. And um, we find those rules together. We discuss them and we decide what we both agree on. It's what I do with my clients is we work together to find rules that we feel like is workable. But the reason that I do that with my children is because I love them more than life itself. I would do anything for them to keep them healthy, to keep them strong, to support them. And so my restricting their sugar consumption, for example, or um, suggesting to eat certain things over other things is all because I love them so desperately. And this is the exact same approach that we must learn to take with ourselves that any type of changes that we make in our diet cannot come from a place of I'm a bad person if I eat this, something is wrong with me if I eat this, I'm weak if I eat this, because none of those things is true. Those are perspectives that can be very painful and can lead to some of those more um, negative associations and relationships with food. And so this is where having a coach can be hugely valuable to be able to help you see what you might not be seeing in yourself and how you're making these choices and the why that you are making these choices. But when you can look at it from more of a place of, I love myself enough to maybe not eat this thing today because I know that tomorrow I will benefit. I will feel better if I don't eat this thing. But it's a very subtle shift and it requires a lot of patience and a lot of self-introspection to really examine why are you saying no to this food? Why are you wanting to eliminate this? Are you wanting to eliminate it because you think, oh, I'm going to gain weight if I eat this? Oh, I'm going to be such a slob if I eat this. There are so many perspectives that are not healthy ways to make changes and are not sustainable ways to make changes. Oftentimes that type of perspective can lead to those binges later that really end up making you feel much sicker. And so it's so important to uh, examine the why and to really ensure that it's coming from a place of, I love myself enough to do this, not because anything is wrong with me, but because I care about myself. And that is a subtle, but very, very powerful shift. Yeah, it's super powerful. And I really appreciate what you what you're talking about with like the why behind why you're doing things. I think oftentimes if we only pay attention to actions, you can take two women who have the very same action of, you know, maybe they don't eat the cake or whatever, right? Like it's the same action if I'm just watching them with my eyes, they both don't eat the cake, but the why behind it and the conversation that's inside of each of those women's heads can be completely different. And one can be a very healthy, supportive, loving um, conversation in her head of why she chose not to eat the cake. And then the other one is like bashing and, you know, demeaning and, and uh, negative conversation. And so I think 
when we scroll back and we talk about that why we talk about the process through which we make decisions it really can be night and day of how yes maybe the end result is that you don't eat the cake but the process that you took to be able to get to that decision uh night and day in terms of your experience uh and your results and your long-term results yes and and that's one thing that i love about uh, how you share things and how you've uh, taught things as i've learned from you um you know, over the last couple of years is macro counting, for example, is some people love to demonize it and some people love to, you know, obsess over it. And I always like to point out that any dietary approach isn't good or bad. I mean, it's just food. It's just numbers. It's just data. But the reason why you are doing it can look highly different on the inside, though it might be exactly the same on the outside. Yeah, And so it's uh, one of those underrated things, because I think on social media and, and in the the diet world, there's a lot of just action focus of just, mm-hmm. we'll do this and you'll get the body that you want or yeah. eat this or track this way or eat this way or, you know, behave this way, do these things. And all of those things probably have a place, but it's going to depend on the individual. And the more you can pay attention to what's happening internally, the more all of those actions will actually get you the results that you want. Yeah. Super good. So walk us through some of the, um, some of the dietary mistakes that people make, especially those with autoimmune conditions, like what are some of the don'ts? I know you said, you know, I, I like the add before subtracting. I think that's a good one. Are there any other things that you have for someone who maybe is struggling with an autoimmune condition in terms of like how they should be thinking about their their food and their nutrition? Well, first of all, it's going to be so individual, right? There are um, over 80 autoimmune conditions and uh they can manifest very uniquely depending on the person, their genetics, their age, uh, their gender. There are a lot of different factors that that determine uh, a person's health. I mean, that's just a general statement anyway, but especially true with autoimmunity. And so, and I think this is good news. It's not like there is a clear cut, do this if you have an autoimmune condition, eat these foods and this will help you. I think generally sticking with the basics like protein and fiber, which I will be a broken record by the end of this episode, emphasizing these things. Um, okay. Well, people are going to ask how much protein, how much fiber Taylor Ann. So why don't you answer that question? Cause people are asking it in their heads right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And it's a good question. It's a good question. And I, uh, will generally make the recommendation and I, I, I believe yours is somewhat similar, but protein can be anywhere between, um, 0.7 grams per pound of body weight up to 1.2. Generally going up to 1.2 is very rarely necessary. And yeah. especially if you're working to manage your condition, I I don't know that I've ever put a client up there consistently over long periods of time up at 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. 0.7 is actually a very desirable, sustainable for most mm-hmm. people once they can uh, develop some experience with tracking protein and paying attention to that. Um, and you know, as you will notice, that doesn't differ whether whether you have an autoimmune condition or not. It's just getting enough. It's not like more is going to be more advantageous necessarily with a condition. It's just getting enough is going to be very helpful. Oh, let's say that. Let's say that over and over again. It's yeah. not that more is better. <laughs> it's like you yeah. just need to get enough. I, right, I, and especially because too, at some point, like protein also just becomes extra calories. And so if extra protein becomes a surplus, you know, you then move into a different area where different things are happening. And so it's just important to recognize your gluconeogenesis and it just goes into carbs. (laughs) There you go. So, (laughs) um, so that recommendation has always been the same and, and will be typically what I recommend to anybody. Uh, 
And when it comes to fiber, it's actually similar as well. Women, I usually will put anywhere between 15 and 25 grams. I like to err closer to 25, but again, there's going to be unique differences, especially for women that have um, things like ulcerative colitis. Sometimes fiber can be a little bit of an irritant. And so that's one thing to make sure if you have a coach or a clinical team to make sure that you are just paying attention to those types of things. Um, if you have Crohn's disease or things like that, uh, can be aggravated by fiber, but 25 grams approximately for women, 35 for men. And, um, again, I, I assume that's pretty familiar and similar to what you yeah. would recommend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those numbers for those that are Good. desperately curious. Yeah. I, I just know people are asking it in their heads. People love yeah. like the concreteness. <laughs> so we yeah, gave it to sure. you if you were listening and you were asking that question. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I cut you off. Keep going. You were talking about some of the, the don'ts with the nutrition. Yes. So I think this extends from the idea of adding before you subtract Mm -hmm. is to not go to extremes first. Yeah. Now there are times and my heart goes out to people that are just really in the thick of autoimmunity when symptoms are severe and desperation is, is yeah, very they're willing to do like anything to yes. get rid of the symptoms. Yes. Yeah. And I, I completely understand. And I, I witnessed that and I, I, my heart goes out to you, but these basics are often going to be more powerful and more effective than some of these unnecessary extremes. Some of these people will recommend, you know, cleanses and a lot of very extreme behaviors that can not only not be helpful, but oftentimes be harmful to a person in their health and their condition um, and their overall well-being. And so to at least first avoid unnecessary extremes by just doing your best to, to master the basics. And this is something I've got a free download that I can give you the link for. It's called Autoimmune Nutrition Basics. And it is just going through the basics to master before going to the more extreme uh, Mm. changes. Um, And of course, what I will also recommend is because autoimmune conditions are a medical condition to prioritize clinical care first, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be your doctor. And there are a lot of things, most things that I probably can't help you with when it comes to, uh, you know, a lot of elements of autoimmunity. And so working with a clinical team first, for example, if you had type one diabetes, you want to make sure you have insulin. You want to make sure that you're staying on top of it with your doctors and your clinical team. Um, if you have MS, for example, you're, there's a lot that you're going to want to be doing clinically first. And then once you are uh, getting regular blood work. If you have Hashimoto's, you're getting your thyroid tested and you're having uh, comprehensive metabolic panels to just check levels of, of uh, you know, all the things we want to be measuring. Um, once you kind of cover your bases there, then move into, am I being exquisitely careful with my sleep as much as possible? Am I being extra deliberate with the foods that I am eating and including? Am I being extra uh, mindful of getting sun in the morning and drinking enough water. Uh, And then beyond that is when you can start saying, okay, maybe I am a little bit irritated by dairy, by gluten. And in that case, you can start to test things, right? There are ways to kind of experiment with elimination diets. And one of the best recommendations I can make is just to be patient because a lot of times, uh, as with anything in the body, it true change really does take time and true assessment of what's going to work for you nutritionally is worth giving it even more time than you think would be necessary, a lot more time than you think would be necessary. And so when you can have clinical care first, then move into mastering some of these basics of self-care and lifestyle behaviors, um, then you can move into some of these more 
elimination experiments where necessary to see, is this a very clear black and white noticeable difference when I eat this and when I don't? And is it worth it enough to me? Do I have a negative enough association with eating these things to say, I can easily eliminate this and not have any emotional fallout about it subsequently? Um, And so that's usually the path that I like to take people down in terms of how to do it um, and then how not to do it is really the number one thing is just to avoid those unnecessary extremes right out the gate. It's such it's such good advice, and I and I like what you said about it's that 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 weighing is like is there a clear enough delineation that this causes negative symptoms, and am I willing to? You said something about like the emotional fallout that that comes from that, which is like so true. It's right sometimes that emotional fallout of like not being able to eat whatever it is if you love it. It's like no, it's it's worth it to me to have a little bit of the symptoms if I don't have a clear association. And and I like that line that you're helping people to draw. You're basically just helping them to balance like what's most important to you? What's your priority here? And what, how are we going to be able to live your life in the way that is the most supportive of your physical and your mental, mental health? Right. And a lot of times when you do start to add in a lot of these other things, there is space to have some of these foods and maybe not have as many uh, severe and noticeable consequences. Mm, And so that's why it's, it's so important to make sure because sometimes what's happening is people are uh, generally eating more calorically dense, more highly processed foods um, and not getting enough fruits and vegetables and protein, um, sometimes, you know, over consuming calories. But then uh, they start to eliminate these things. And again, they associate that with with feeling better when in reality, it's going to be the adding of other things that's going to improve how you feel more so than the elimination of other things. And so it is, it's finding that balance and having the patience to find that space, to really make sure you're adding in enough, not going too extreme too quickly. And then to say, actually, because I'm eating enough of these other things, it's really supportive of me and my body. Then it's actually not as consequential if I do have some of these other, um, you know, more calorically dense, high, highly processed foods. You talked a little bit about like giving it the time. And again, I'm going to push you because people are like, how much time? Mm-hmm. So are we talking about like two weeks? Are we talking about a couple of months? What is that time frame that you would say, okay, we've given this the space that it needs to work. Now we're going to move on to the next step and, and um, you know, make some changes. How long would you recommend people being willing to wait to be able to do that? Well, let me back up a little bit and first kind of discuss time to give yourself when you initially have a diagnosis. Mm, okay, cool. So when someone gets a diagnosis, again, there is a lot of a lot of um, emotions that can come up as a result. I know for me, in my experience, there was a lot of fear, a lot of unknown. You know, mine is particularly aggressive and the treatment is really gnarly. And so there was just a lot of emotion as a result. And every day just felt like I was in limbo and not, not sure what my life was going to look like. And every day was like, I want answers now. I want this fixed now. I want tomorrow for this to be gone. And again, if, if people out there listening feel that way, it is not to be blamed. It makes perfect sense why we feel that way because it is, there's a lot of, um, turmoil happening. However, when you can take a step back and shift your perspective a little bit and say, okay, I'm going to give myself a year to learn about this, to, adjust to this new normal, to this new life, to this new direction that my life is headed and this new direction that my body is going. When you can say, oh, I have a lot of time to figure this out. And I might have a lot of emotions and that's where it's important to have mental health care. That's why uh, what I do as a, as a life coach is, is uh, so valuable, I believe, to kind of help navigate through some of those big emotions as it comes to health changes and diagnoses. But when you can say, I've got a year and if I have hard days, if there are things that don't work, 
that's okay. And I think this is again, applicable to something like fat loss. For example, when you want a six week, 12 pound fat loss result, it's just too myopic and too close to home. You're not having the grand perspective as it comes to health and and body composition changes. And the same is true for autoimmunity to be able to to learn about your body and how it responds to certain things, what your needs might be. You know, it was something that I I learned over time that, oh, I I need a lot of extra sleep than I used to need. And it's not because anything's wrong with me, but I just know this enough to really prioritize that. I also know that like heat can often be really aggravating for my eyesight. And so I just have to, but I, it took a long time for me to learn that, right? Because there's mm-hmm. so many different things going on. There's so many um, new thoughts and new emotions that are coming up that can feel very tumultuous. So coming back to nutritional changes and kind of figuring out what works for you, I think the longer, the better. If you can give yourself a year to figure out how your body tolerates certain foods, how it responds to certain things, you're more likely to get a more comprehensive picture of what's actually happening uh, and avoid more of a confirmation bias. Sometimes we will eliminate things and be like, oh, I feel so much better. And this is kind of true in the fitness and diet community. Like I'm eating these things and I'm feeling so much better. And it's like, well, are you? Or, (laughs) you know, we don't quite have an adequate picture. And so when you can give yourself, you know, even a month at a time, like I'm going to eliminate gluten, for example, for a month. Very, and if I can guarantee that I can be uh, as adherent as possible, you know, you probably want 100% to really get 100% adherence to really get a good picture of how your body responds to not having it. Um, a month at a time is a good uh, length of time to attempt any t- sort of elimination. And because you don't want to have compounding variables, you want to be doing things one at a time if you are making some of these elimination things. Now, you can add in multiple things at once. Uh, sleep and hydration and movement, those can all be added in. But if you're going to eliminate something, I really recommend taking at least a month and doing one thing at a time. That's super helpful, that that specificity. One thought that I had as you were talking is uh, I get a lot of clients who who don't have autoimmune conditions, um, but for whatever reason, injury, surgery, whatever reason, they, they have a deeply held belief that their body has betrayed them. And and I was thinking about that and I feel like that's even more so, I have to imagine it's even more so in the autoimmune because literally it is like your body is attacking your own body. And so I have to imagine this idea of like my body's betraying me, it's like me against my body, um, has to be something that a lot of these women deal with. And I wonder as a coach, how you help to navigate them through that idea that it's like them against their body or them fighting their body or them their body betraying them and and how you kind of help work them through those beliefs. Yes, I love this question because this does come up with just about every client. Yeah. And the way that I explain it is you have something that's working against you physically that's causing probably a lot of unpleasant symptoms and results in your body it makes sense why you might have a thought like this. It makes sense why that might feel true and why that might feel legitimate. And I don't blame people for thinking this and for feeling this way. And at the same time, I will always extend options for different perspectives completely for their own sake. Not because I think that everybody should be like, my body's amazing and it's perfect and everything's working wonderfully. I, I don't expect anybody to try and be toxically positive about something that is genuinely really hard. However, for someone's own sake, for their own well-being, to give them a break where possible, 
That's where I love to take a step back and to say, okay, these symptoms in our body are painful, but we are exacerbating our overall pain by compounding it with emotional pain as well. Mm. And that's something that we have control over. We have control over how we are thinking about the symptoms we're experiencing, about how we're thinking about the diagnoses that we are experiencing. And so one of the thoughts that has been one of my favorite over the years is my body knows what to do. Now it's like I I literally have a system inside my body that's that's working against me. It is attacking me. Yeah. And my body still knows what to do. It happens and my body jumps right into action and is like ready to repair and again I do what I can to support it nutritionally and with movement, but it's like kind of amazing to think that your body can be under attack by your own systems and you can still be alive and you can still function. Like mm-hmm. it's such a trip. And so that is one thing that I will offer and invite people to consider. And it almost makes me emotional because bodies are so incredible. And though they don't work often the way that we want them to, we still have the opportunity to say, my body's still amazing and it's still really smart and it still has the capacity to help me survive and help me even thrive despite having something on the inside working against me. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I really love that that perspective shift. And I think there is a lot of opportunities. There are lots of horrible things that happen to us and injuries and death and just like circumstances and just lots of things that happen to us and that we may not have control over. And I think it's silly to think that we can control everything in our lives, right? There's just lots of things we can't control. Um, however, our experience of them really is shaped by how, how, you know, how, what we think about them and, and how we feel about them and what we tell ourselves about it. And, you know, what we reiterate to ourselves in our brain and, and that can hold a lot of power to really not get you out of the situation that you're in, you know, you maybe have a a disease that is a chronic illness and it's not going anywhere, but that doesn't mean that you can't improve your experience of that. Um, In Buddhism, they have this idea of like the second arrow that, you know, that, yeah, the first arrow hurts, but the second arrow where you like mess around with it and like re-injure that spot is, is like the emotional pain that you were kind of relating to. And we can do, we can't do much about that first arrow, but we can do a lot about the second arrow. Um, And I think that's um, a really important place to be able to have people focus their attention on the things that we can have control over. Yeah. And and that's one of those more ambiguous parts of health. It's not like a sure. biomarker, right? Like has yeah. the scale changed? Has my body fat percentage changed? Has, you know, my, my blood levels changed, but it's often one of the most important parts that really gets neglected. And I, I don't think that that's um, due to anything other than mental health and really paying attention to how we're thinking is not something that's been as much at the forefront of of cultural awareness as it yeah. has been you know, within the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so um, it can really change an experience of something. And it's it's something that just brings me so much joy. And is one of those things that I, when I witness in other people is one of those, those are the moments where I'm like, okay, this is why I was given something hard. This was why it's worth it to me. This is why I, I do what I do um, is just to be able to see a little bit of relief in someone where it feels like sometimes it feels like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Well, it creates meaning to the pain, right? We we are yeah. able to go through a lot of pain if there's meaning behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a beautiful way to, to reframe that. Um, all right. Well, this has been awesome. And you've given so many, so generously of your, of your information and your knowledge. And I know that the women listening are uh, eating this up uh, and the last thing that I would love for you to speak to, and I ask this question often because I, I think that the more that we can hear from different perspectives and different ideas, the more we can get insight into places that we can set our own goals. So I'm curious, what are some of your current health and fitness goals? Like, what are you working on? What are you excited about? What are you chasing? 
Yeah. I love this question. And I, uh, I I know you do CrossFit as well. Mm -hmm. And that's been one thing that I, uh, attribute in jest as being a little bit life-saving for me. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly how much my current well-being has, uh, has been influenced by my dedication to CrossFit since I was diagnosed, but I like to believe that it's helped a lot as resistance training and movement is helpful for anybody. Sure. Um, but I, I like to believe it's had an effect on my condition, but, uh, it is such a safe space for me to be able to be in the gym and pushing my body beyond what I ever dreamed would be possible, mm. especially so since I was told, you know, I might not live to see my kids go to kindergarten. I might not, mm. you know, be walking or be able to see uh, in a couple of years. And so to be able to set goals in the gym and achieve them every time I get emotional about it, because it's just like, I I'm doing the impossible and I'm proving wrong what mm-hmm. um, I thought might be my future. And so my current goals, I have many at any given time because I just love uh, challenging myself in that way mm-hmm. and kind of pushing the limits of what's possible. Um, one is a 300 pound deadlift working yeah. towards that excited awesome. about that. Um, next is I've been spending a lot of time working on handstand holds and walks mm. and I can get a solid like five seconds, but I'm, my goal is 30 seconds. Right. Cause I feel like anybody can sort of get five seconds, but like 30 seconds is it's like, obviously legit. like, you, yeah, it's like you, <laughs> you have to hold it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So goal 30 second hold, you know, followed by a handstand walk. And I've also, man, the last couple of years, I go through phases where I have worked on my muscle up and I'm close, but then I go through seasons where I will prioritize other things. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's always on the docket as, mm-hmm. as the next goal. Um, I've only recently started to like really get the hang of chest to bar, mm. which was exciting. Um, so those are kind of top but- of mind, my, the things that I'm excited about and that, that kind of take me out of of the idea that something's wrong with my body because it's like, I'm getting closer to these things and it's small and I'm giving myself a year plus to do all these things. Yeah. But it's like, man, you know, things aren't so bad. I've got things I'm excited about. And, and that's one of the things that I love to, to recommend for, for women with autoimmunity is to set goals like that because it it can really help create, um, not just a neutrality with a condition, but also like a, an optimism with it. Yeah. I mean, it moves you from like, my body is broken to like, look what, cool things my body can do you know it's and that's such a, a powerful perspective shift awesome well if people want to connect with you where are they going to find you um i have the autoimmune nutrition basics free download that you can get at taylorandmacy.com slash basics and then i have a podcast called brain diet that is on all podcast platforms and i go into detail about all of these things about the mental health as it relates to autoimmunity and nutrition and just how to navigate life with confidence in that area that's awesome well, thanks so much for coming on and we'll link all those things up in the show notes that people can easily find find them and find you and really appreciate you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with my audience. Thank you, Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed that episode and that it gave you some things to mull over, especially if you're someone who is struggling with an autoimmune diagnosis yourself, or maybe has been struggling for years trying to figure out what works for you and for your body. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, love it if you would share on social media. Let me and Taylor Ann know what your takeaways were from this episode or what aha moments that you had as you were listening to her share um, so willingly about all the content that she shared in this episode. That wraps up this episode of Biceps After Babies Radio. I'm Amber. Now go out and be strong because remember, my friend, you can do anything. 
Hey friend, have you heard the news? We have a Biceps After Babies Radio insider list. If you love Biceps After Babies Radio, you don't want to miss a thing. Head to bicepsafterbabies.com forward slash insider to join the group. You'll be the first to know all things about the podcast, see some behind the scenes, and get special messages from yours truly. We want to make this a special community for those who are fans of the podcast. And last, did this episode particularly resonate with you? If so, will you please share it? Either send the link to someone who would find it valuable or take a screenshot and post it to your social media and tell your family and friends why they should listen. Make sure you tag me at Biceps After Babies so I can hear your feedback and give you a little love. And you know, if you aren't already following me on Instagram or Facebook, that's the perfect time to hit that follow button. Thank you for being here and listening to Biceps After Babies Radio.